0: Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence Fixed Income Credit Currency and commodities Strategists and Analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC Research Team.
1: Welcome to FX Moment, which is part of our FIC Focus podcast series. My name is Audrey Chad Freeman. I'm the Chief G10 FX Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. And today I am joined by Solita Marcelli, who is the CIO for UBS Wealth Management in the Americas. Today we talk currencies uh, and the macro outlook as we contemplate the second half of the year. So, first of all, thank you so much for joining us, Solita. I guess the first question I have is, how do you think of currencies at UBS Wealth Management? How do you contemplate the currency market?
0: Sure. Uh, thanks, Audrey. Great to be with you uh, here. Look, I mean, many of our clients have substantial cross-currency exposure because they either run global businesses or they decide to retire abroad or they may inherit Inherit foreign assets, right? So, as wealth managers, uh, we must help them manage the risk that comes along with that exposure. And I think what separates um, currencies from other asset classes is that there's no risk premium implicit to currencies. Right? As we know, in equities, you get rewarded for taking more risk with higher returns. In bonds, too, there's typically a premium for taking on interest rate risk or credit risk. But you aren't necessarily paid. Uh, to take the currency risk. so from the perspective of strategic long-term wealth creation, uh, we view currencies as more a source of risk for client that needs to be managed. Uh, we especially want to manage currency risk associated with uh, their future liabilities. But of course, you know the I think the needs of our clients vary audrey here, like I'm speaking maybe from a little bit from the US client's perspective. In the US, this is often less of an issue um, as the primary source of assets and liabilities are in dollars. But even so, our you know currency views can still be a factor in forming our positioning uh, for our US clients. For example, uh, we have a view for weaker dollars, so that is one factor that get, goes into our current messaging um, to, di- to diversify investments abroad. Besides that, we also look for tactical opportunities uh, for our clients to take advantage of currency mispricing. Right now, I think investors are focused on the yield differentials between various markets. But as markets start to sniff a maybe a peak in the Fed rate hike cycle and anticipate cuts, the flows are likely to move increasingly away from the dollar um, towards other currencies. That's where central banks are hiking. So we can help our clients take advantage of these dislocations along the way.
1: Certainly, and, and certainly, I think you you make a very good point here. And and currencies are is a currency is an asset class that you, whatever you you trade, you, you can't, can't you can't avoid yeah. having a view. You need to have a view on on the currency market. So let's 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 talk and let's think about the outlook for the currency market into the second half of the year. And it's very much of a uh, of a low FX, low conviction. Uh, currency environment that prevailed in the first half of the year, but we expect the dollar-negative narrative uh, to To regain momentum into the second half of the year, uh, as as the U.S. economy starts to turn uh, and inflation and Fed uh, rate peak uncertainty uh, starts to be removed, so that that's what we are thinking at at Bloomberg Intelligence. And for me, whether Fed rate peaks at five and a quarter or five and a half, won't be any kind, or even five seven five, uh, won't be a game changer for for the weaker dollar story Mm -hmm. into the second half, and certainly. You know, we've seen already in the past week or so, we've seen quite a strong price action uh, supporting yes. that view in, in the market. So, what, what's what's your take on on the U.S. macro story and the implication for the dollar into the second half of the year?
0: Well, I mean, the dollar has proved to be obviously more resilient than we expected so far, uh, but similar to, I still think it will we weaken further in the second half. Um, we expect growth in the U.S. will slow and inflation will fall. And as a result of that, you know, while the Fed was the mer- first of the major central banks to begin hiking rates, it will likely be the first to cut rates ahead of others like ECB, you know, where inflation is still well above target. So I think this should allow the interest rate differential between U.S. and the G10 currencies uh, to narrow and cause investors to diversify outside the dollar into higher yielding um, or or basically places where the differential is much less. Now, I think if you go beyond that, you know, longer term, you know, when we look at dollar fundamentals, it's still quite weak. You know, U.S. still faces twin deficits between a large budget deficits and a trade deficit. That's also why. So unless the dollar offers significantly higher interest rates than other currencies, I think the path forward is is to um, we can but you know whichever we can go into some of the other drivers um, Audrey as you like.
1: Yeah, certainly. I think you know the structural element uh, on the dollar tends to be ignored until it isn't. And, And certainly, you know what we had with the debt ceiling predicament earlier in the year was a good reminder of the fiscal position in the US and something that we kind of want to put away in a box uh for month and month and then and then the debt ceiling problem resurfaces and we all talk about it again and then it goes away again and i think at the moment you you nailed it absolutely right in a way that uh, we are back into the dollar and the currency market in general being driven by cyclical differentials. And you touch on one aspect, which I think is very relevant, the fact that, you know, earlier on, it was all about Inflation differential, rate differential, but as we reach peak in interest rates, and in particular for the Fed, or we get closer to a peak in interest rate for the Fed. You know, even if we don't see any rate cut anytime soon, I don't think anyone really believes it will happen for this year anyway. uh, I think the the next driver will, will be growth. Uh, and, and you know how much of a slowdown do we see? Uh, and, and so the first que- the question I would have for you here is, you know, on the US in particular again, you know, do you are you more in the camp of the soft landing or hard landing scenario for the US? Because that has implication on you know the the dollar story really. A uh, soft landing allows you to be more risk on and you know translates to a weaker dollar, and hard landing is actually the opposite. You know, more of a risk off and actually quite supportive for the dollar?
0: Yeah, um oh, was a great question, but I think we are you know, at a fork here, uh, frankly, um, because I think the um, range of outcomes have certainly increased. But I would say from a US growth and inflation perspective, I mean, today's inflation report was quite good news and it's definitely a more supportive of a soft landing scenario, but I think it's still too it's still too early to call um, with with high conviction. Um, I think we saw broad-based slowdown in inflation, right, both in goods, especially services like fares, airfair, hotel stays also coming down. So if we continue to see inflation trends like this over the next few months, uh, I think the Fed would be quite happy that its work is done. And based on what we saw today, I think we'll see probably... Um, July hike but a second hike in September appears less likely now. I think growth in the US has certainly been stronger than expected so far. Um, We do need to see a period of you know below trend growth for inflation to continue to fall and for the Fed to be able to cut rates. Um, Like I I think the growth will inevitably slow further um, and we likely still haven't seen the full effects of rate hikes on the economy. Uh, because of the, you know, obviously given monetary policy response with a lag. But even if the Fed just stays on hold at these levels, real rates by default, right, will rise as inflation falls, which would further hurt demand and investment. Um, But I think given the strength of the job market so far and the health of the consumer balance sheets, we only foresee a mild recession if we get one at all. Um, and as for inflation, I mean, we do see it trending lower throughout the year, although it will likely stay above the Fed's 2% target, given how resilient the economy is right now. But I think certainly leaning more towards the soft landing after today's um, um, data as well.
1: Yeah, certainly the, the, the deceleration in June inflation is is very good news for for that narrative. So let's move on to the global picture and let let's let's talk about Europe a little bit and the Eurozone. Uh, and for for me, I suspect that if the ECB uh, rises interest rates in some kind of re- resilient macro context and you know I use my words carefully some kind of just because you know we've seen some evidence of a of a softening in some of the euro indicators recently but I think if we mm-hmm. you know if we avoid hard landing scenario in europe um And, you know, if we look into 2024, if our own expectation of euro actually economy actually outperforming the U.S. economy, I think the the view that we had since the beginning of the year on euro dollar 115 and higher could become credible again. I'm thinking a little bit more comfortable and confident with this view now, especially after the recent uh, U.S. data that we've had. Um, than I was, let's say, three or four weeks ago. Um, so, so in terms of levels on, on euro dollar uh, into year end, what, what, is, what is your thinking at uh, UBS? Yeah, so look, I think, for, first of all, the outlook for the euro is certainly
0: stronger. Uh, as I said earlier, the ECB is still in hiking mode with inflation well above target. I think Italian bond yield spreads do not signal any stress in the European bond market, so the ECB can afford to hike more. Uh, the trade balance in Europe is healing. Um, and then, you know, remember, you know, soaring gas prices last year killed the surplus, but now we have a stable energy situation. And the balance of payment situation is also much improved. So in terms of you know, the level that you're mentioning, around 115, whether it's feasible, I certainly think it's still feasible. Um, you know, I think the euro is undervalued, but two things probably needs to happen. One, um, the Fed needs to be done hiking, I think, um, for certain. And two, the economic surprises, um, I think, need to reverse. We have seen U.S. surprise and eurozone growth disappoint, so that does need to change, and, and I think it will, right? But we have definitely seen the backdrop change, Um We have come a long way, I think, from sub-parity levels, uh, which was really an anomaly where the U.S. was growing and Europe was headed for a catastrophe last year. Now that is no longer the case. So on top of that, you have fixed-income investors. They have rediscovered Europe. It's no longer negative yielding. And 4% is actually a very decent yield. So why not hold it? I think as a result, we're likely to see that shift in flows towards um, European fixed income. So, I think one fifteen is certainly attainable, um, but I think we need to see the market gain conviction that the Fed is done first.
1: Yeah, agreed. Uh, I think the first catalyst, but we get it, we we're getting closer to that position. I think, you know, like in the space, of, and the, and that's what the market wants to listen. The market desperately yeah. wants to hear, you know, the Fed is done. I think the market is kind of moving away from the expectation that we're going to see rate cuts. Fed rate cuts this year, but um, the market badly wants to see, you know, some sign of comfort that uh, we've reached a peak with we, we Fed fund rates. Uh, and for me, another catalyst I would just briefly mention for euro upside into uh, the second half is, and, and something that's played against us on, on, in the first half is the China macro micro headlines. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of underwhelming uh, headlines that we had out, out of China that really didn't help. Um, the, the stronger Euroview in in the first half. And for now, we're not getting any evidence that this is turning. But I suppose the question I have for you is uh, at what point do you think that, you know, we, we have pro- probably too much pessimism priced into China and that, you know, we start to see potential better headlines out of China? And when that happens, I just feel that there'll be a strong, Uh, additional upward momentum on the euro. Mm -hmm. What's your take?
0: Yeah, so I I really think there's a lot of pessimism already priced in, Um, but I think it would require perhaps a much bigger stimulus to get investors excited about China again. Investors, I think, are looking for a big bazooka, yet the policy support so far has just been dripping like dripping in in small doses. So recently, I mean, China has signaled that it will be more supportive of the property sector, extending long relief for developers. But, you know, these measures stop short of what is needed to really turn the property sector around. Uh, Investors, I think, can wait for that big PBOC stimulus or fiscal stimulus. But I think you might be waiting a long time. And when it finally arrives, you may not be able to move quickly enough to capture that upside, right? So I think that is the, um, that is the challenge um, with you know with China a little a, a little bit. In terms of Aussie uh, as a proxy, you know, we recently actually took down the Aussie dollar to uh, neutral um, from high conviction. I think the Aussie is a good China proxy. If you look at how Aussie performed with Chinese equities, they've been going hand in hand. But again, you know, we're going to have to see more growth out of China, robust commodity prices and more support, um, you know, I mean, more of this to support the Aussie dollar. So I think investors may at this point see more potential in the euro as an alternative for the dollar rather than the Aussie dollar, um, which obviously is a much smaller currency.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I would just add on what you say about China, and it's super difficult to predict as well in terms of timing for more policy measures and um identify you know when when the time comes for for reversal in, in the headlines so let's uh, let's very b- briefly conclude on on the Swiss franc, I just want to talk very briefly. I know you're sitting in New York. May, that may not be the most traded currency uh, over there, but I, I spoke to to your colleague, um, Mark Anderson, earlier in the year, and both he and I agreed that that was probably one of the strongest potential performers for, for the year, and it's worked really nicely. I mean, just sterling uh, is stronger than the Swiss franc year-to-date. Uh, just looking at the numbers, the Swiss is up t- 12.5% against the yen, 6% versus the dollar, even against the euro, uh, it's up almost um, 2%. And, you know, uh, at BI, we had a call, a view at 88 to 86 for for dollar suites. We're nearly there already. Um, And for me, it's, you know, it looks a little bit, um, you know, extended uh, big mo- We've had a big move, but I think for as long as we see uh, hawkishness from the SNB policy messaging, uh, I kind of feel that, you know, and for as long as you feel that euro dollar is going higher, which we do, um, I, I feel that, you know, the Swiss franc remains a, a very appealing currency when it comes to diversifying, but out of the euro, but still getting European exposure. Um, so, have you changed your view at all on the Swiss? Uh, do you think it can go much lower than 85, 86? Uh, I guess the short answer is yes. And you're right,
0: um, You know, here in US and you know, the rest of the region in Latin America, maybe we don't spend as much time, our clients spend as much time with Swiss franc as we do with our clients outside of the Americas. Uh, but, you know, because we are UBS, I guess, Swiss franc is really top of mind, um, regardless of where we are. And so, look, I think the fundamentals are strong, and it continues to enjoy uh, a safe haven bid, like you said. Yeah, the investors are lo- regularly looking for alternatives to the U.S. dollar. And the Swiss franc is attractive uh, amid a struggling Europe as it deals with the negative impact of the war in Ukraine and stubbornly high inflation. So I think the Swiss Na- National Bank is on a convincing tiding path. It is selling forex reserves during periods of franc weakness, and therefore limiting depreciation of the currency. And I think, unlike past episodes of, you know, Swiss franc appreciation, exporters don't seem very concerned about the impact of this strengthening franc on tourism and exports. So again, you know I think investors who shifted. To the U.S. dollar during the negative rates era in Switzerland, uh, will continue to return to the Swiss franc. Um, the only challenge we foresee is maybe as inflation is coming off, investors may look to euro for a better year, But I think both will appreciate against the dollar. Um, you know, but the euro is more pro-growth currency than Swiss franc. But to your point, yes, I think will. I think it will go lower um, a year from now, next June. We see it lower than that.
1: So this concludes our FX moment podcast. So Lita thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for your input and for your insight on, on the global economies and on the currency markets. Uh, just as a reminder, you can find BI's research on the terminal. So please reach out if you want to discuss any of the points that we covered in today's podcast. I hope you found the podcast interesting. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you, Audrey. It's been a pleasure.